Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Good to have you with us, everybody. It's Martin Luther King Day, January 19th, and we are honored that we have a lot of people dialed in. Look at this. Uh, <clears throat> good to have you with us. Appreciate you dialed in and listening. I know we have a lot more listening over the Internet, so it's good to have you with us, however you dial in. And more importantly, I want to thank you, our listeners, for telling others about this broadcast. Uh, it is just astounding to me how many people are listening to this thing and how it's getting passed around. It It is starting out or something where I just wanted to get a few friends together and entice them into a, an environment where I could ask them a lot of questions, really smart people. Um, then I, I, that's how this started. And now it's grown to over 350,000. We're approaching 400,000 listeners. It's just really interesting. And uh, Or downloads. Not all of those are listeners. I mean, those are repeat listeners. So, the nearest count, we're, we're running pretty consistently, you know, somewhere between the 60 and 100,000 numbers. That's just astounding. So for me, it is just a real honor to start something and have you all gain from it. And we do hear from so many of you. Uh, and even I was hearing from some of you Packer fans out there over the weekend uh, as, as uh, it looked like you were gloating. And then what a change in fortune. So. Anyway, uh, the biggest comeback of all times, and uh, so it's good to have you with us. So we could talk Super Bowl, but some of our <laughs> listeners were, e- were texting me, looking, I'm so glad we finally beat those blankety blank Seahawks, and then every, you know, you can only imagine the, the, the conversation back. So good, good day to you, Martin Luther King Day. We want to honor, honor Martin Luther King. I love leadership, and Simon Sinek is one of my favorite guys I like listening to, and he has a video out there that um, – that it's really the power of why. He talks about three companies or three entities. It says the Wright Brothers, Martin Luther King, and then um, Apple Computer. And what's unique about them? Go check that out on the TED video. I use this a lot in my coaching and consulting. Very, very interesting. But it's Martin Luther King Day. And what he did and how he did it is because he had a passion to change lives. And it's really the differentiating fact that's out there. Had the privilege of having a good friend of mine, Bill Stipek, stop by the house on uh on Sunday, and we had a great visit. And I just love being around people that have a passion for the industry and are looking for innovation and then really changing lives. Folks, it is just so much what we're about here. And so we do honor Martin Luther King and what he did and, uh, and so much of what the results have been. So anyway, good to have you all with us. This is the broadcast created by Mortgage Professionals for Mortgage Professionals, and we're the proud recipient of the Innovation Award and from Progress and Lending. So thank you very much to our friends at Progress and Lending. We also are excited about the hot topic today. We have Les Parker from Loan Logics. He has uh, one of the guys that's out there. One of the things I like about talking to guys like Les that give forecasts, he's giving his 2015 forecast. I go, okay, someone says, yeah, it's the 19th. Didn't, why didn't it get this in January? Well, you know what? I'm glad he gets it out because he gets it right. He takes the time to bake it fully, and then comes out and gets it right. Well, a lot of people don't He was heavily criticized for his forecast last year. And guess what? They were dead on. So um, we definitely want to get him on. And so I'm excited that he took the time to get it right. And he is releasing that forecast today. And you'll get it through the emails if you're set up with him. And we'll t- if not, I'll show you how to do that. And uh, But he's releasing it today on the broadcast. So it's a real honor to have Les Parker on with us. Also, a special thank you to United Guarantee. Even though FHA decreased their M- annual MIP, it's still there. It's the, the, what MI or what uh, United Guarantee offers is still very more affordable than FHA programs. So you look at United Guarantee's pricing; it is still competitive with FHA. They offer faster and less complicated closings. You look at their overall premium payment choices, and it really gives you an advantage over FHA. And then most importantly, they they offer coverage on low down payment loans. And here's the other thing, second homes and condos, some things that you may not be able to get through FHA. 
course, Alice can tell us more about that because she is the guru, and she's on the broadcast, as well as Joe Farr, as well as Andy Shell. I'm very excited to have the regulars here. So good to have you with us, folks. Again, mortgage insurance underwritten by United Guarantee Residential Mortgage Insurance. Good to have you. Also, a special thank you to Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant, Velma.com, V-E-L-M-A.com. They do an outstanding job of getting out the word about our broadcast. Appreciate our partnership with them. So much to talk about and get into. A quick update on some upcoming conferences. The National Mortgage Servicing Conference, February 23rd uh, through the 26th. Uh, that is in Dallas. We have the Midwinter Housing Conference, Finance Conference, March 4th through the 7th in uh, Avon, Colorado. Then we have the Midwinter Finance Conference. Well, that's the same one. Sorry about that. I have it in two lines here. So also the MBA, Texas MBA, has their secondary conference coming up, I believe, the first week in February. That is coming up. It snuck up on me. So lots to talk about this week. So let's start off. The markets are closed, Joe Farr, but sounds like uh, yeah. we got it. Well, look at the calendar. I'm on your website right now. I'm looking at the calendar. Not a lot here this week. Uh, so I can't wait to get your um, report on what well, you think we should be looking at. There is a lot there in, in the ECB announcement. Uh, that's going to be yeah. a big event this week, so we'll get into that in a minute. But uh, you're right, the markets are closed today, so we'll just jump right into last week, which really, uh, first time in several weeks that we didn't see an improvement, a net improvement in MBS prices and mortgage rates over the week. So, uh, But it, it didn't it didn't reverse by much, you know, just a couple 30 seconds on the three and, and about a quarter of a point on the three-and-a-half coupon. So, um but it was a, a a change in trend, if you will. And the big mover last week was the announcement by the Swiss National Bank. Uh, probably everyone's heard about that by now. And it was uh, an announcement having to do with their monetary policy and how they had been pegging their currency, the Swiss franc, to the euro. And they were going to discontinue doing that. And they were going to let their currency rise to whatever level it was going to rise to. And and that wasn't as big uh, then the what they did was not as big an event as why they did it and what they said they were doing was they were preparing for the ECB's um sovereign bond buying program now yeah. Swiss central bank shouldn't know anything more about what the ECB is going to do than you or I do but um it struck the market as another sign that they're actually going to do the the ECB is actually going to do something uh, regarding a quantitative easing type stimulus, and and that sent MBS prices much higher on Thursday after that announcement. It mm-hmm. also created some uncertainty because uh, it was a big right. move in the market, and and it, it was. Uh, we saw some companies that probably are going to fall uh, fall into bankruptcy because of it. But the the uncertainty and 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 the potential demand again, much like the USQE programs caused MBS prices to improve significantly. Now, we saw that reverse itself uh, on Friday. Yes. Um, some of the some of the surprise nature of the announcement wore off and and some of the uh, some of the profits that uh, were to be had were reversed and so uh, net net after a couple of days there was uh, no market reaction to the announcement, but it caused quite a lot of volatility. Mhm. Yeah. The, go ahead. I was going to say it was really interesting to watch the 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 seesaw effect of that. That was that was quite a. It really underscores how linked we are to you know what's going on here at home to what's going on over there. I mean it's it is that and the oil price situation. It's just really underscoring. Man, we are we are truly a global economy, and you cannot just be paying attention to what's going on here at home. So I'm sorry, but that yes. Well, and, well, and I'd also say it it. it makes you appreciate things like less people like less who can forecast things that are going to happen and and you yeah. know but it also underscores the fact that you don't know today what's going to happen tomorrow you may have a better sense of what's going to happen over the next few months than you have what's going to happen yeah. tomorrow so uh it, it you know it, it's hard to predict by day less does a great job of predicting uh over over a period of time which can yeah. be very helpful so yeah, the when you're talking about intra week or yeah, intra week and intra day is just almost you know like what in the world could be sending us spiraling up or down. Anyway, right, go on. Sorry, right. interrupting you. The the economic data released last week was generally 
a little slower than what we'd been seeing, and it surprised the market in in a number of situations. Retail yeah. sales was the big surprise. That was a that, big surprise. Very yeah. big. Uh, they, uh, retail sales fell. Uh, this is without um, you know the effect of uh, energy. Uh, so retail sales fell one percent when a very small, just a one tenth of one percent um, drop was expected. And um, you know the market viewed that kind of as uh, an aberration. Uh, Ex auto retail sales for the fourth quarter was a very strong four percent. So. Um, uh, probably see that rebound some in the next reading. Uh, last week, jobless claims rose above 300,000, which is some of this is the fact that we're changing from what are very strong levels. Under 300,000 for several weeks in a row uh, is a strong indication of the job market. So to to jump above 300,000 for one week is not a big deal. Manufacturing yeah. data last week was mixed, and then the inflation data. You know the the impact of Gas on the overall inflation is being felt. Uh, headline CPI, which includes the effect of food and energy, uh, inflation is just uh, eight-tenths of a percent year over year. When you back out the effect of gasoline on that measure, it's still up 1.6%, but you know, well below the Fed's reading of 2%, which means that the Fed's got more to do to stimulate in order to get that inflation number higher. Uh, great news on the consumer confidence. Did you see that? It rose to yes. 90, 98.2. Yeah, 98.2. It it's just astounding. It's the highest rating in a decade. So, uh, you know, it's measures like that that cause you to think that there was some aberration in the retail sales number because when the consumer's that happy, that retail sales number ought to be better. Yes. And then uh, we mentioned this week uh, the big event's going to be the ECB meeting Thursday, and uh, I believe the market's looking for some sort of announcement on a quantitative easing uh, sovereign bond buying program. If it doesn't happen, I think it would be it'll be bad for the MBS markets. But uh, so it's important to pay attention on Thursday. Housing data is about all that's uh, also on the calendar this week. The National Association of of uh, Home Builders. Housing survey comes out tomorrow. Uh, housing starts on Wednesday and is ex- existing home sales on Friday. So, uh, again, Thursday is a big day. Thursday's a big day. Lots of good stuff. Joe Tharp, thank you so much. Again, folks, if you don't have the MBS, MBS quote line service, you're missing out. You know, Les Parker took me down into the pits of Chicago when we were there trading. And you know what? They have this little... 1960 looks like with almost rabbit ears sticking this little TV sticking down the pits. At least they did when Les took me down there. It's been a few years. But uh, this old, old TV, and they had CNBC on. So they're always watching the markets, and, and they trade based on seeing what's going on in the news. Well, what's interesting is I have MBS Colt line open and on my desktop all the time. And it is just one of those things I just feel like I'm connected to what's going on. If you're not connected, you are making a mistake. So if you want to learn how they get connected, Pay, attune, pay attention to this message. We'll be right back after this brief break. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS Quoteland delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect. And know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS Quoteline, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS Quoteline today at MBS. MBSQuoteLine.com. MBSQuoteLine.com. 646-716-4972. The Lincoln on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lincoln. Ah, good to have you with us, everybody. Tune in. Happy Martin Luther King to all of you again. And again, Alice Alvey is with us. Paul Mollo is out and about doing his thing. And uh, we just miss having him on. I really enjoy what he does. And there's a lot there. And I'm going to cover that in just a minute, but I want to get over to Alice Alvey to give her update on everything going on in the regulatory world. Alice, good to have you with us. Happy Martin Hi, Dave. Day. Yes, you? and you know, it prompted me to want to go look up and see what 1968 looked like because I was a little young then. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. I have to admit I was around. <laughs> um, and, I was graduating from high school that year. I remember this. 
<laughs> See, now you're giving away your age. Well, I was eight. There, yeah. I have, there you go. <laughs> so um, Prime was 6.5%, and the Truth and Lending Act was actually born in 1968. And, you know, today we constantly talk wow. about that because it's the TILA RESPA uh, changes coming up for our loan estimate yeah. and our new closing disclosure. So uh, Congress hasn't had a chance to really get any legs, you know, any strength underneath any of their bills yet. So we're watching that. It's still in the early stages for this round of Congress. Uh, in terms of proposed rules, we are still waiting to get some more information out of CFPB on this interest rate, I'm sorry, on the redisclosure policy. So when you move from a float to a lock, I have had long conversations with companies as they're trying to come up with what is the best policy for approaching uh, this one pending piece. Now, granted, there are several parts within the new loan estimate and closing disclosure rule where you have to really get in the weeds about your policies and procedures, uh, but companies are finding they're going to have to move forward with the fact that when you move from a float to a lock, you have to just figure out how to do that as fast as possible and kind of come up with a plan A. I'm going to write a policy that fits what the rule is today, which means you would have to get it out the same day, but then also come up with we should at the very least get 24 hours uh, to be able to uh, reissue a disclosure from a float to a lock within 24 hours. Uh, so companies are still kind of, uh, working on, on that aspect of the rule. The other thing I'm very surprised about is how much, well, maybe it's not a surprise to many, but uh, the title community and the real estate community are really sitting back and saying, okay, lenders, most of this fell on you. When are you going to help us out with how to cope with this process? And there are a mm. lot of companies that think they're going to pick this up somewhere in July and be able to make this work. So uh, loan officers, this is a huge opportunity, I think, to offer sales training for them now. Uh, I'm sorry, you know, offer some type of training for your realtors. Yeah. Our TRID package that we're offering, you'd be able to uh, repurpose that, use it in ways to help educate the realtors. So I, I just I think there's a huge marketing opportunity and need for the industry to reach out better to originators and title companies because we don't see them grasping on all the details yet. They're They're kind of looking at us. I um, haven't heard anything yet on the Humda rule. We should be getting that in 2014. And then uh, we'll be dissecting the new FHA 4000.1 and making sure there aren't any tricks in there that you need to pay attention to. And I'll be talking about that in a broadcast during February. So uh, it's a short report, Dave, just to make sure we have plenty of time to talk about other things. I'm going to also bring up something else in 1968, a few other things. I mean, it was a tumultuous year. 60 Minutes had their first episode but Led Zeppelin, since you and I both like music, Led yes. Zeppelin did their first live concert and the Beatles' White Album came out. So, <laughs> no <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, 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 I love it, I love it. <laughs> so that's okay, my uh, start, quick update on 1968. <laughs> so listeners, uh, start sending me through LinkedIn or Facebook some messages, or you could text my cell phone. What were you doing in 1968? And the unacceptable answer is, I wasn't born yet. That is, I don't need to be reminded how old we are. <laughs> I get that, Alice. I'm out there working with the clients. I said, how long have you been in the industry? I'm inquiring. I've been in the industry for 41 years. And I look at people and I go, oh, yeah, that's right. You probably weren't alive. So uh, that's just that just kind of underscores it so well. But, it's Alice, thank you so much for bringing us that update. It's always fun to have you on the broadcast. So good. And, again, would you tell – your son, what a great job he's done on all these intro outros of these ads. I just love the music. What a great job he does. And so we want to list another one of his his handiwork. He is just really gifted at this. Very talented guy. Great, talented family. Your whole family's talented. It's just amazing. Good to have you with us, everybody. We're going to be right back after this brief break. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. Give you the edge. Man, I like that. That guy is one talented guy. I wish I could get that phrasing down like he does. Anyway, that's by the way, that guy is Alice 
Lewis's son. He is in broadcast for years, and he's just got a gift for that. So, anyway, let's move on. Uh, Tony Garitano said to say hello to everybody, as did Sam Garcia. Sam Garcia is moving today, so we miss him on the broadcast. Tony is, uh, he's a, his kids are at home, and he's got them, and he's playing dad duty here with it being a holiday. So let's get over to the prophet doctor and uh, find out. Yes, come up, pull the stethoscope out of your ears and uh, let, you know, put it in your pocket there with your lab coat on, your, your white coat on there, and, and share with us some pearls of wisdom. Andy Shell, by the way, sponsored hey, by Optimal Blue Secondary Interactive. <laughs> yes, well, it's always good to listen to the Do I have you here, Andy? Do we have you here? I'm here. Can Andy, you hear Andy? me? Oh, there you are. Seems to me like I'm here. Let us knife check that was here. Oh, yeah, that hurts. I'm here. I can hear you. I can hear you, Andy. Oh, good. Now, Dave just went away. Hope he's not having trouble with his mic. Well, so go well, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead and let's hear what you oh. have to say. <laughs> oh, What's the profit factor going. for today? <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Alice. Well, it's always great to be on the show. Uh, you know, Joe was talking about the situation in uh, Europe and the impact that that had on MBS prices. And we've been talking about over the months a little bit about where rates come from. And one of the things that we talk about when we start talking about secondary marketing activity and interest rates and where rates come from and where the where the mortgage rates come from that are on our rate sheet, that often, that, that often involves uh, hedging activity. And hedging is just the activity of um, preserving value. It makes it so that it, that if one thing goes up, the other thing goes down, so we are able to preserve our margin that we have embedded in our locked loans. And this is all done through a whole well, a whole scheme of activities. It's kind of like comparing apples to a bushel of apples. It's like one loan to a pool of hedging events, which are oftentimes known as um, selling MBS TBAs for forward delivery. So it's, it's, it's um, one versus another, and it's one versus a bundle. And so there are some there are some rules out there about this, and the OCC has been monitoring risk models for commercial banks for a really long time. This isn't new. Commercial banks have to have their risk models validated virtually annually, actually. And so if, a, if, if it's a commercial bank-owned mortgage lending operation and there are risk models used to preserve the values at risk in the locked pipeline or, or warehouse, then that model has to be validated. And that's a, actually a really smart thing to do because how do you know? How do you know it's right? How do you know it's it's doing what it's supposed to do? And so uh, while it's something that's a requirement for the OCC, it's actually something that's a smart thing to do anyway. It's not yet a CFPB requirement, but I would not be surprised if it doesn't become one. But basically it it means – you're going to take the inputs that you put into your model and run it through a comparison model to see if you get the same answer. And so we actually help doing this for, for clients. But the, the point is when we think about compliance issues and we think about regulatory issues, we, we often think about it as, um, oh, my gosh, um, they're going to surprise you with something else. And, and we, we feel like we're always playing defense. And so – I want to turn some of the regulatory issues around and make it be a, a positive. Let's figure out how we can use these regulatory requirements as a way to make our organizations better rather than just saying, I'm not going to do it or I don't want to do this or it's such a hassle yeah. and we're always playing defense. Let, let's get in front of it. And, and there's there's almost always a reason behind the regulation. It, the regulation came into effect for some purpose. It wasn't just some random thing most of the time. And so let's understand it, apply it, and see if we can't run our businesses better. Rather than running from the regulations, let's embrace the regulations and use them as a springboard to actually make our businesses better, including hedge model validation or uh, making Whatever. the position. <clears throat> yeah. Hey, Dave, you're back. Yes. Back. Yes. And so yeah, that's there's good. information on our website. Go to mbs-team.com. Go to the 
OCC section under services summary, and there's all kinds of stuff in there about hedge model validation. But we're back. Dave, you're back. I'm glad we're you're back. back. Gosh, I'm glad you're back, but I had a question then. I got all geared up to be interviewing Andy when you dropped. Oh, no. <laughs> well, go ahead and ask it then. Let's get it in. Get it in. <laughs> well, I'm interested in the hedge model validation because I know a lot of companies um, are maybe even outsourcing, right? A lot of community banks and lenders kind of start out with getting help on that front. So they're taking the advice of a third-party provider, which is, you know, the parties I know of are excellent at that. Um, so if they're using a third party, shouldn't they still have it validated? And, and doesn't the validation include some stress testing as well as uh, profitability that they may want to understand a little bit better? Absolutely, Alice. You're exactly correct. And actually, unless you're a really big organization, you probably want to use one of the top five alphabet soup hedge advisors. Because you this stuff's complicated and you don't want to mess it up. And these guys do it all the time. So using one of the one of the hedge my hedge advisors is a great idea. And yes, that's a, that falls under the third party management requirements and it also is part of the hedge model validation because you're using somebody else's risk model. So the fact that you're using a hedge advisor doesn't remove this obligation from you. If anything, it makes it be more present. You need to validate that the risk model that your hedge advisor is using is being uh, applied correctly. And it, and it isn't one size fits all because the, the, the data inputs that come from your organization that go to one of the hedge advisors is unique to your organization, and the data elements have to be validated. So exactly right, Alice. It, it, if, even if you're using a hedge advisor, you need to get a hedge model validation. Well, and I would say even though the CFPB hasn't specifically called this out in a mandatory requirement, just by virtue of their vendor management policy, it already exists. You're exactly right. To the extent that yeah, yeah, the, the third-party management requirements already require that you make certain that the relationships. Um, managed correctly and the service level agreement has certain provisions in it exactly and then to go on to the next level of depth and and verify the the outputs verify the inputs verify the code the mathematics the outputs stress tests for real world events the um recommendations all it sounds it 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 can sound overwhelming but it's very important to do this because otherwise you could be like, like in the example that Joe just gave today where we had an unexpected move in MBS prices. MBS went up, so the, the value of the loan went up, which means rates are coming down. At the same time that rates are coming down, it means the value of the loans are going up, just like because loans match up with MBSs. But that also means that your hedge position is going down because we want the teeter-totter effect. One goes up, one goes down, preserves our margin. That's what's supposed to happen. That's why when people keep talking about, oh, I had all these pair-off costs, what's wrong with my hedge? That doesn't mean anything. You can't tell by looking at pair-off costs if your hedge was right or not because you have to look at the loan sale gains as well. Take the loan sale gains, less the hedge costs, put it together, see if you got your margin. That's how you measure it, not by just looking at pair-off costs. That's only half the equation. You can't get the answer from looking only at that. But anyway, this is fun stuff to talk Good about, stuff. one of my favorite topics. Thanks, Alice. Great question. Yes. Good question, Alice, and thanks for backing me up again. That's why it takes a team to do this broadcast. Where we're dealing, we're all dialing with voice over IPs into a voice over IP system, and uh, being out here in the country, it just does it to us. So anyway, folks, thanks so much, Andy, for great report. Appreciate it. I can't stress the importance of what you're talking about enough, and we'll talk about that in another time. But I told you we had a, a, one of the, I think one of the true heroes of our industry is a guy by the name, and I, I, I mentioned his name already. I'll just say Bill. But he he's now retired out of the industry, enjoying the good life. Uh, but he he stops by, and I'm always honored by his presence when he stops by my house. And and it's it's once this industry gets in your blood, you just can't leave it. So he tries to leave it, but he stops by. He wants to talk, and we share ideas. And but the one thing he always talked about, he says we always got ahead of things. And his company, if I mentioned the name, of it was sold for one of the highest multiples ever. Very successful, lots of stuff. And and I would love to get him back on the broadcast some point in time. So uh, or, or on it, I've never had him on. But it's just one of these things. There's so much history to be gleaned from how people did it. But what's the one thing they all did? They did not wait. They prepared in advance. What was Alice was talking about and what Andy's talking about. So folks, listeners, don't be running from this. It's manageable. It can be done. Yes, it's a little more complicated. But get a hold of Andy for that type of stuff and Alice and the other for the training. 
so much for e-learning. So thoughts here. Can't wait to have Les Parker on, who's up right after the break. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief message. Mortgage Banking Solutions is the preeminent management consulting firm to the residential mortgage lending industry. No other firm in the U.S. offers the menu of services or the level of expertise to the industry. If you're looking for help converting from best efforts to hedging or need help with bookkeeping to know your profit per loan, if you are interested in making the transition from broker to banker, or if you just need a roadmap for success, Mortgage Banking Solutions' primary focus is to enable executives to take their business to the next level and guide them down a path towards success and profitability. With over 300 companies, Combined years of experience in all facets of mortgage lending, the Mortgage Banking Solutions team of professionals has the expertise and know-how to help you accomplish your goals. New warehouse lines of credit, broker-to-banker transitions, transitioning to hedging, financial and accounting services, or meeting your capitalization needs. If you need help with these or any other aspects of your business, please contact a Mortgage Banking Solutions sales team to see how we can help you at 512-977-9900. It's 512-977-9900. Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Good to have you with us, everybody. It's always a blessing and honor to have someone uh, that you know so well for so many years uh, on the broadcast as a guest. And my next guest is, or our next guest, it's truly an hour deal here, uh, is Les Parker. He's a CMB. He is with Loan Logics. Unless you have to forgive me, I have I do not remember what your title is. I know you're one of the senior people there, and I think you're one of the uh, an owner in the business as well. But you are uh, Brian Fitzpatrick has done a brilliant job of bringing together a great group of true professionals. Now, when it comes to hedging, Les Parker, I had a good friend of mine who was ran a huge hedging operation for a very large bank and. One of the regulators was, or some of his own people were in there challenging his hedge positions, what he was doing. And this guy was really good. But you know who they called to get to validate if he was doing it right or wrong? It was Les Barker. So this guy not only hedges pipeline risk, but is one of the pioneers in hedging um, servicing value risk. And it's a real honor to have him here. He uh, has a, a finance degree from San Diego uh, State University. He is uh, just one of the sharpest guys, and, and best of all, he is just a really heck of a good person uh, and a dear, dear friend of mine and someone that I really listen to. And when he says, Dave, you need to look at this, boy, I'd pay attention to what he has to say. Les Parker, good to have you on the broadcast. Well, thank you very much, David. It is good to be with you. I've been calling you Dave for so many years. I think of you as King <laughs> David, so I, I think I'm going to have to start saying David. I wanted oh, no, to no, do no, something in, in contribution to Alice's talking about 1968. How about a okay. 1973 song? You may not know this, but every one of my regular daily newsletter, the subject yes. line is a parody of a song. Yes, it is. Yes. And I've been doing this now for about a year and a half. For years, I'd done it just sporadically. Now that's... It's our marketing Caught department on. tells me, oh, everyone loves this, so I need to keep doing it. So why don't I do this? We'll open up. We won't. Uh, I won't. We don't have to be in tune, but I'm going to sing just a quick little tune here of what it was a couple days ago. And what the bonds it? taking care of business. Every tick <laughs> taking care of business. business. Every dip. Every bonds been taking <laughs> care of business. High all time. Taking care of business and trending over time. Look out. Anyway, oh, good. That's, that's Parker Bachman Turner Overdrive. <laughs> Thank you. I was going to say, if anyone knew the group, and uh, so people get to kind of guess what's the song, and we have oh, uh, people that have come back and say, oh, I know that one, and so it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. Well, it's a good way to connect with people, and you do connect with so many, and you write stuff. Folks, I've been reading lots of stuff, and the first, oh, 10 years I started reading, I go, I got headaches. I go, I don't understand the first four paragraphs of a four-paragraph email. And I go, I, so you just stay at it and learn and learn and learn, and he's patiently said, okay, this is what this means. But I always refer him to as one of the rocket science of our business, and it's good to have you here. But we're talking about your forecast. Your last couple forecasts, mm-hmm. while controversial, were right on. And so uh, we don't need to have you give us your secret sauce, but really want to spend the the 25 minutes, well, let's say here about probably 22 minutes to allow some time for the outro, to really get into what your forecast here is. But to give some credibility, give us an example of what you forecast last year. And we talked about it just before we were um, on the pre-call, just before we started the broadcast. 
And uh, so if you give us some insights and some of the persecution and the vindication you had as a result. Oh, persecution. Yeah, I guess so. Persecution, um, vindication, it, yes. It, yeah, I guess so. We, You know, it is interesting about forecasting. Um, last year, at the beginning of the year, an awful lot of people were suggesting that the uh, ten year would go up to four percent, maybe a little lower than that, maybe a little higher than four percent the The market was at three percent at that time. Um, there was really an outlook that the u s economy is going to be expanding, and so therefore interest rates will be going higher. Um, Federal Reserve was kind of in that stance because tapering was ending and people wondering, well, when is the Fed going to be starting to uh, tighten? So there were a lot of good reasons why people would think that rates are going to go um, higher. However, I was one that felt that the odds of us going much higher than even we were starting the year was very low and that we could actually see 1.9% on the 10-year sometime during the year if a few things happen those few things essentially happened and so we saw 1.9 did yeah. not think it was that hard to call but uh obviously a lot of people felt differently oh you were there there's some people that said okay he's gotten too old to be here making forecasts and they were discounting you big time and you really came back and you nailed it and i i you know i we were talking on sunday when I advise you to come on the broadcast, yeah, yeah, folks, that tells you a little bit about my preparation. I was calling to have less on on Sunday. I was really thinking, who should we have on it? So that that tells you about my preparation. But he graciously queried to come on. And we were talking about some of the economists out there. And I won't mention any names, but we, we share, uh, well, we both share a love for Doug Duncan and a real respect for Doug Duncan. And you look at the various economists that are out there predicting some of the things. A lot of them missed that one. I can't remember what Doug's was, but uh, you, you nailed it. So you what let's let's leave the history behind and let's move forward into the sure. 2015 and i really want to have you lead off with this and then joe allison andy i think i forward you his forecast his email forecast and so take a look at that and please jump in here anywhere along the way uh with any questions that you have and i know each of you i think i'm sure have some questions so let's start off thematically generally what are you forecasting for 2015. Well, um, Dave, let me. I will, I'll answer that question, but I first want to give the right um, context of why yeah. would I forecast, and why does anyone forecast, and what? Why do we care about forecast? It is. It is exactly what you were saying earlier when you said you have to prepare in advance. Yes. So even though we don't know. We don't know where interest rates are going to go, and nobody really does. I mean, we can have good guesses. We can put out the logic there. We can put why we're thinking certain things. And, but the, the, real, the reason you go through the exercise is so that you can position how your business should be, what it should be considering. Um, mm-hmm. If 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 That's you think rates are going yeah. a certain direction, you have to kind of do some what if scenarios. So when you start hearing various different forecasts and you hear kind of different directions, it gives a manager and particularly risk managers a context and and to to shock you might say their own belief system and their business models. So that's the reason mm-hmm. we do it. That is a good so, can I just can I just dwell on that just for one second? I think sure. a lot of people go, I look at forecasts, that's interesting stuff. No, it you what you not just look at the forecast, you look at the thought that goes into it and it really by doing a forecast, and I think everybody should do this to some degree about their business, forecast your business, forecast your market, because it really causes you to start examining the the tenets of what you believe your future is going to look like, and when you do that, and, and, and you miss it, it's as much value in missing it as in getting it. Right. It's not a. It's not this trophy that you get in. It's just how good do you get at this, and then you're learning at what should I be paying attention to, and then someone like you comes up with something that you may not have had in your field of view, in your analysis of the market. It it really helps. So I, I think it's a great process. Good. I just want to underscore that for our, for our listeners. Go ahead. You may remember, you may remember that um, – um, Greg Crosby and I, when we worked together at uh, yes. First Financial Government Securities and First Financial Futures a number of years ago, um, we came up with the idea that we should shock pipelines. 
that we should look yes. at interest rates. Um, if interest rates move, if pull-throughs change, what happens? And doing what-if yes. scenarios. And the reason that we both went down that path is because Peter Zengi, who had just published a book back in those days um, called The Fifth Discipline and the Art and Art and Practice of a Learning Organization, was dealing with the concept of simulations and scenario analysis. Um, Shell Oil had put out some papers on how they did simulations and scenario analysis. If you'll think about what um, what they do in the military, they're always doing um, practice of what yeah. possibilities are. And well, to, that's what to, a flight simulation yeah, that's what a flight simulator is. It's it's it's, it's exactly, and, and, they, of... and they simulate things that are possible. Yes. And you know, can there be something outside of the possible? Of course, there can be. Yes. Um, but and and that's what we kind of, what um, the Black Swan deals with by Nathan Taylor. So yes. you have, um, and by the way, is th- the third book in his trilogy is a great book, Anti Fragile. Uh, people should get it. So that's why anti we go fragile. down anti what what's the author again anti fragile. fragile it's a great book and, and it summarizes the black swan and the and uh, fooled by randomness so it's a good book to get good so that's the reason we do these things is to help us in our what if scenarios to and and if uh, and also if you like the particular forecast and it fits you may bias your business that way but you still know your other the other direction so that's so good. where are we going? Let me give you yes. the context. I, I, it's this is. I believe we're in the on the precipice of a major transformation in the market, and it's wow. probably going to take place over the next um, uh, two to three years. It's it could be four years, but I doubt it, and it could be one year, but I doubt that. So over the next couple of years. We're in the midst of a major transformation, and we're going in this transformation. One of the signs of it is you're seeing different central bank policies starting to de- uh, develop. They're not all in sync. They were immediately after the crisis. This transformation is partly um, will is very similar to what happened in the 1980s in the United States, in the early 80s particularly, where we had we had the opposite of what we had. Uh, we have very high inflation. We had mm-hmm. a crisis in um, investor confidence, and we had a crisis in international leadership. We have similar situation here, except the inflation is not high inflation; it's disinflation Whoa. or even deflation in certain sites, parts of the world. Yes. We also had a major shift in um, Federal Reserve policy back in the '80s when uh, Paul Volcker. Um, and mm-hmm. I want to give a shout-out to Jimmy Carter. I know he's been ditched a lot over the years, and, and he gets low ratings among a lot of historians. Um, however, I believe what he did by appointing Paul Volcker to the Federal Reserve was one of the greatest um, acts of courage wow. of any president concerning um, economic policy. Because he knew good and well that he was going to go in there and he was going to slam on interest rates to control inflation. And that kn- he knew that would be the end of his presidency. So right. you have to kind of tip your hat to uh, someone that is willing to do that, because a lot of politicians would never do that. Um, so you had Paul Volcker coming in and a, a major change in Federal Reserve policy, I believe, that we're going to have a major change in Federal Reserve policy. It's we're, we, It seems like it's moving like a glacier, but we have a lot of issues that the world's dealing with. So that's what is the context yeah. of where I'm coming up with this forecast. So are you ready for the big for the drum roll? Is there a drum roll? Anybody? Yes. Yes. Now, are you going to in your in your? Well, we'll let, let Alice try to do that. Andy's the drummer. I'm trying. I didn't have sticks. <laughs> yeah. No. Andy. Andy is a, a world class drummer. Really. Literally. Seriously. Uh, so he could do it. But I had a question as it relates to. So ECB. is that why he beats me up every time I see him? <laughs> he does. Absolutely. He can do it with a rhythm too. He can do it with a rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about ECB. Real quick question on the ECB. Joe talks about the uh, European Central Bank's coming out, and everyone's anticipating that. Is that in your forecast? You, how much is in there about that? Because if not, I want to just touch on get your opinion on that. Yeah, sure. The ECB, for sure, that's been what I've been talking about for a few years now, and it's certainly a major item still. Um, 
Draghi has gotten what he really wanted. He's the uh, president of the ECB, um, and right. that is he's wanted to cheapen up the euro. That's, right now, this is all about uh, a race to the bottom among all the major currencies, except the dollar currencies, cannot yeah. participate because it's the reserve currency. Um, right. And that's, by the way, part of why the, there's a um, a there's a shift going on in uh, central bank policy. The United States is going one way, and most awful lot of the other world's going another direction, where they're actually having to wrestle with and deal with um, deflation. And uh, the Federal Reserve really doesn't have to, because we get to export our problems through being the re- the reserve currency. Interesting. So, All right. so they are a major that. item, no doubt. Yes. We'll be paying attention to it. So, so drum the roll again. Is... Point. <laughs> no, the, the forecast, forecast is, yes. Um, and here's the, the number. <laughs> no, my name's not Johnny. Um, no. <laughs> here's Johnny. No. We have um, yeah. the what's going to make the main thing that's going to happen is that when you go through transitions you end up with turbulence. If you think about going about the uh, around the various capes, um, you know, like going yeah. around Cape Horn, you have turbulence because there's a sh- there's a you're going from one ocean to another ocean. So right. that's where we're going to be going here, and we're going to have an increase in turbulence. What has been the case over the last? Let me get down to my forecast here. Over the last few years, from 1980 to 1987, over that eight-year period, only twice was the range of rates from year to year under 2.5%. And if you look at two of those years, we're Hmm. under 2%. From 1988 to 2014, 27 years, the range has never exceeded 2.5%. And only four times did it exceed 2%. It is that type of environment with 27 years of tranquility, in essence, and and for all practical purposes, a single trend. We only had like um, six years in there of any major uh, bear market in 27 years. So it is that context that I would say that we have a very good shot this year of the range of rates being greater than 2.5%. Now, that actually doesn't sound like much. Big deal. Um, My expected forecast is I do think that we will see 2.9 by the end of or Mm. latter part of the year. But um, before, um, probably in the first quarter, we will see 1.35. That's only a range of, uh, call it uh, 1.55. So that's a fairly um, narrow range, um, not that much out of line. That's that's kind of what the expected numbers would be. But I believe that the odds are we're going to actually go to the outside part of that range, and the outside part is a high rate of 3.9 for the 10-year yield wow. for U.S. Treasuries, and the low okay. will be 1.15. Wow. Now, how do we get to 1.15? We are currently um, – what, what are we today? I'm trying to pull it up right now. So you know, rates right now are um, – let me pull that up because I'm not, not looking at it right at my fingertips. Well, and while you're looking at that, we, I'm hearing from several listeners are saying, Dave, 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 what, what does this mean? What does this mean? Get to, okay, I got it. Uh, what does this mean? It, mean of, it, means, yeah. <laughs> it means a lot of things, actually. Yeah. So we're at 1.8 right now on the 10 year. 1.8, okay. So, yeah, 1.8. So if we go down to 1.15, which I think we have a good shot at, I think it's almost yeah. a given we'll get to 1.35. So we will eke out a new low, a new all-time yeah. low, just like the bond has already put out a new all-time low. I do think we'll get to at least that, and we'll probably get a good shot at the 1.15. So how do we get there? We get there because I think we're going to have flash deflation. It's never been talked about, and it's because the mark, the hmm. the world is so interconnected by technology. We are so rapidly growing. Um, Google, um, the head of Google Research, has talked about how 
we are running madly to singularity, uh, to where artificial intelligence exceeds human intelligence, and that he thinks that could be in um, in the 2020s, uh, could be 2020 or 2025 or maybe closer to 2030. In that type of tremendous explosion of knowledge and the technology associated with that knowledge, that means markets can move and adapt to new information very quickly. Um, and it can keep incorporating it and shift through things. And investors, I believe, are willing to put their money out faster because they can digest that information. So what I see right now is that we're in a in uh, much of the world. China is on the verge of a real estate, a significant real estate crisis. It's already selling off. We see yeah. China, uh, Japan can't get out of its morass. Uh, we see Europe is is in deflation now. We just got a deflationary number here published in the United States, though I don't think that we're going to go to negative uh, interest or to negative inflation here in the United States. Um, but generally speaking, you're going to see this slowdown in these prices, and there's going to be certain pockets with major drops, and probably in developed countries because they are so dependent on uh, U.S. or U.S. dollar-denominated uh, debt. So I think we're going to have some debt crises. I think we're going to have some uh, significant moves in lower interest rates on the major uh, supports like German bonds that are almost getting close to zero, and you have U.S. going lower and lower. Right now, what one of your thing your audience needs to understand, Dave, is that U.S. Treasury bonds are not U.S. If they'll get that in their head, they'll understand why it is that interest rates aren't going higher when you see a better economy in the United States is because our U.S. Treasuries are not just for funding the United States. It's it's being put into people's portfolios for security and for safety, and it's written into policies for wow. hedge yeah. or for uh, um, uh, retirement funds and for central banks and different entities worldwide. So it is the worldwide asset that people want to hold for liquidity or for safety or for predictability. And with those type of items, that's why it can go, drive lower and lower and lower. And I do believe that we're going to see that in these next six months, that we'll see this drive lower. And it's going to be driven by some events throughout the world. I don't have to necessarily know what those events are. It's just giving you the sense of what the market's yeah. seeing. And if we see this flash drop of prices of whatever type of items prices, but I think it will be particularly in real estate and foreign lands, we'll see some softness here in the U.S. Um, what will happen is investors then will reassess it all, and they're going to reassess their outlooks. And then I think they're going to come in with a lot of money that's been sitting on the sidelines waiting for this type of moment and it is going to yeah. cause the exact opposite by the second half of the year. Now, I wow. may be off on my timing some, and it may be that it's the first half of, of 2016. So view it this way, a big drop in rates, then a big upheaval very rapidly that goes higher. And that's going to cause a great deal of problems for mortgage bankers. It's going to cause problems because as volatility increases, it makes the implied option premium in um, in mortgage servicing rights more expensive. So that's good for the value of our servicing, but it makes it harder to manage the risk associated with that. Same thing for our pipelines. Our pipelines will have larger moves, and how do you manage those larger moves? Most mortgage companies manage risk from a reactive viewpoint, and they cannot react yes. faster than what can happen overnight. So that's that's the consequence. That, that's and amazing. Okay, let's some business companies out of business. So. Yeah, well, if you have that kind of volatility and you're in a reactive mode, you're absolutely right. You can't react fast enough when in Correct. when it's and you're trying to catch a falling knife. You only just cut cut worse. Um, Andy Shell, let's get you in on this. This is I mean, I, and, and then I'm going to go to you, Joe, and then Alice. So let's, I'm looking at the clock. We have five minutes and forty three seconds on the whole broadcast. Let's get in some questions here on this and uh, start with you, Andy. Well, hey, Les, great to talk to you again. Um, Dave, I like the analogy of grab, trying to grab a, a falling knife. And um, Les, I couldn't agree more on the 
the uh, strategy for mitigating risk of volatility. And for a mortgage company, obviously, you need to have a, I think, a hedge advisor to make sure you do it right and never float, never play the market because you're not smart enough. Never, ever float would be one point. Hey, but Les, I guess, and I'm sure you agree, uh, I was reading your analysis, and I was really interested in some of the economic forecasts related to the job creation uh, from the oil mm-hmm. production, particularly mm-hmm. the, the shale exploration. And given that we've seen this black swan event almost with the price of oil dropping in half over the last, you know, a month, Six months, not even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Um, what effect is the drop in oil going to have on jobs and ultimately the the economy and ultimately rates, in your opinion, going forward? Uh, on an immediate basis, it's a very negative thing because of jobs and salaries and immediate layoffs. In the longer event, it's very positive because we are a net importer of oil, so therefore it's a net positive for the U.S. economy. Very good. Thank good. you. That's good. Only Joe four Park. minutes left, so I want to be short. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Thank you. Good, great, good Len. question. That's one of the ones I had noted. Yeah, Joe. This may be old school, but what's your view on the natural hedge for a mortgage company having both a production operation and a servicing portfolio? Because it sure sounds like one's going to be uh, extremely valuable for a while, and then it's going to become less valuable, and vice versa. Uh, well, that's a good. That's a. I I do believe there is somewhat of a natural hedge however there's Andy would be able to answer better than uh, than I can that there are some accounting um, issues to why it doesn't exactly fit um, but in general principles good uh, I think some of the the best operations out there are ones that understand that they have to be able to know how to refinance their serv- their own servicing otherwise it's going to have such an impairment on their value um, it will. They can't use enough um, capital market tools to lay off that risk. So the number one item for mortgage bankers is try and find things, doing your what-if scenarios uh, that you can do in operations. Be prepared if it takes significant layoffs. Be prepared for those. If it means significant ramping up of a call center, you need to be prepared for those. Um, I'm very. Uh, I wish I could drop some of the names, but I'm privy to some of the great minds in this country, particularly some independent mortgage bankers, that have done just that. That's the way they think. They they do not think capital markets first. And by the way, no one should. They should think in terms of their operations first. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good segue over to Alice, thinking of operations first. Alice, that's got to warm your heart a little bit. Well, yeah, we keep trying to tell folks that we're the most important part. No, I'm just not, we actually, you know, none of us have jobs without sales. But <laughs> anyway, so True. Les, in in this year-end jump or potentially next year, but somewhere I would call in mortgage life not the too distant future, right? Uh, we're already trying to plan for August for compliance, and we have lots of compliance expenses here. What are the warning signs that folks should be watching for? You know, is it is Great it truly question. listening to Fed minutes? You know, what we're all. If you're saying we have to look ahead, then what are the warning signs we should look for? Okay, it's about to happen. This is the start of it. Wow, that's yeah. <laughs> you have to. There's no doubt about that. You have to pay attention to central bank policies. So you, if if you're only looking at the Federal Reserve, you'll miss it. If you're paying attention to the ECB, you're going to have a better insight. If you also add to that the People's Bank of China and um, the um, Bank of Japan, you're getting a pretty good picture. Then there's really only two others to be watching. That's Great Britain and Australia. Now, if you'll get that type of outlook and kind of – you don't have to read all the items, but pay attention if there's certain major news items surrounding those guys. The other thing you really need to watch is commodity prices. Commodity prices are going to signal whether or not they believe the economy is starting to heat up. And when I say commodity, I am excluding gold. Gold's a whole okay. other it, – it's a different subject. But it, watch crude oil. Watch um, copper. Those are two very important indicators. There's other um, manufacturing um, uh, – <laughs> 
what I want to say, uh, commodities that would be good to be also watching. But those will give – and just because they uptick, look, crude oil can go all up back, all the way back to $70, yeah. and it's no big deal. So We you, are out of time, and I just want to tell you we are being bombarded with – can we have him back? Have him back, Lincoln. we got to hear the rest of the story. So if you're available, we'd love to have you back. Folks, good to have you with us. Have a great week, everybody. This has been Lincoln on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln, of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week, and thank you for listening. 